So everyone's wondering, how did Penn State finish 10-2? and two? How did they get to the Rose Bowl? Why were they so much better than they were in 2021 just a season ago? Believe it or not, team chemistry. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everyone. Thanks so much for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Zach Seiko, and I am privileged to be joined by the voice of Penn State Wrestling himself. That is Jeff Ironhead Byers over on the other side. Today, we're going to be talking Penn State Wrestling. We're also going to be talking the Rose Bowl, which we're going to lead off with here as we're going to discuss Penn State uh what their game plan is, Jeff, your expectations for this team, how they got there, uh, then get into the scouting report of your uh, Utah, your impression of them, and then, of course, uh, your expertise, wrestling itself. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me. How has the wrestling season been going on this year? Yeah, I think uh, overall they're really pleased with where they're at right now. I think the conditioning, as usual, has been very good for this team uh, to this point. And I think the way the – competitive schedule played out uh worked well for Penn State in terms of trying to develop as a team and get some of the younger kids a little acclimated to what it is going to take at this level to compete for All-America honors or even national titles at the end of the year and I think to this point uh, again the season has played out very well from the wrestling team's perspective and I think there's a lot of excitement and a lot of juice uh, heading into January with the start of the Big Ten schedule. And we'll truly save the best for last, the number one team in the country. That final segment is completely devoted to them. Okay, so Penn State football, as much of an expert you are with wrestling, you know the football team inside and out as well, being around Penn State sports and athletics and everyone, you know, all the colleagues that we uh, intermingle with. This Penn State football team, uh, for you, how did they get to the Rose Bowl? Obviously, they won 10 games, and they're ranked as high as they are. But what was the difference about this year's team that they didn't necessarily have in 2021 when they went seven and six, Jeff. Yeah, I know it's it's probably not the, the answer that uh, electrifies people, but but I think a big part of it, I, I really do, is team chemistry. And, and I just don't think, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, the team chemistry was there the last couple of seasons prior to this year. And I do think, um, you know, in particular after the loss to Michigan and the way Penn State got manhandled in that game, I think the way the players took ownership of that and owned up to the mistakes that were made and the fact that they did just flat out get beat, uh, but that they weren't pointing fingers. I mean, it was everybody kind of pointing the finger at themselves. And I think the, the way they regrouped, the way they played against Ohio State and then uh, closed out the, the season, I think playing their best football of the year over those final four games, uh, I think is is all significant stuff. And, and I think you know, obviously the biggest difference from last season to this is that they found a running game. And, uh, you know, I do think the offensive line was improved, but there's no question that the two freshman running backs were the difference makers there in, in terms of the uh, added competitiveness that I think uh, was found on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's, uh, you know, a huge component uh, for this team not just with the success this season, but as you're trying to build now toward, you know, what you're hoping is going to be a playoff run or two here over the next couple of seasons. 
Well, how good is this Penn State football team? Because you brought up the the end of the schedule. They lost to Michigan convincingly. Like there was really no way to slice it. I felt like, you know, maybe the Ohio State game could have unfolded a little differently. But then they played Indiana that was down to its fourth string quarterback. Uh, Rutgers is basically an entire roster composed of fourth stringers. Michigan State was probably the toughest team they faced. Uh, Maryland's pretty middle of the road. So did they really prove anything to us because they handled, they won all the games they were supposed to, but then they, they were beaten by the teams that uh, they, they try to set the expectations for. So as Penn state, they're, they're going to show this against Utah if they truly are, but what's your take on that? Are they truly a top 10 team, even though they had an easy schedule down the stretch? Yeah, I think there's a few things in play there. Uh, I mean, I think they are, I, I think one of the things that I, I really liked about this is if you look during James Franklin's tenure, every year, pretty much there's been at least one game where you're like, what happened? What? Why would Penn State have lost that game? I don't think this year, I, again, I, you may say the, the uh, difference between Penn State and Michigan was unexpected, but I don't think the loss in and of itself was unexpected and certainly losing to Ohio State. Uh, for anybody in the conference, is never unexpected. So the fact that they won all of the games that they were supposed to, and to me it wasn't just that they won those four games down the stretch, and yeah, fair point, that it, that was not a juggernaut schedule. Yeah. But Penn State went out and dominated the teams that you would expect it to dominate with the injury situations and everything else going on. And again, that just has not always been the case uh, over the years with with James Franklin, even in their great years, even in the years where they had 10 and 11 win seasons, they stubbed their toes somewhere along the way against a team that you looked at after the season and said, man, that's a game that you just don't expect Penn State to lose. So the fact that, you know, I guess you can look at it either way if you're a Penn State fan. Yes, disappointment that you're not getting over the hump here uh, against Ohio State or Michigan. But the fact that you took care of business and did so decidedly in the games that you should have won decidedly down the stretch, I do think uh, bodes well for the future. And it gives you an opportunity, I think, Zach, to prove that, yeah, that this is the signature win that you're looking for this season. They don't have it. I mean, they do not have a signature win this year. There's no question about that. The two opportunities they had both uh, slipped away. Well, the one (laughs) – was never really at, at hand and the other yeah. slipped away. But because you took care of business in the other 10 games, now you have one more chance to get uh, a really big opportunity against a really good football team and get that, that signature win of the season. And I think really try to propel and launch the expectations and the base for what could be you know, a pretty special season next year. And I guess Purdue is that signature win in some sort of sense. I mean, they were the best team remaining on the schedule. And it's not Penn State's fault that Auburn was so down this year that they just uh, didn't have it figured out. But uh, in terms of the most high-profile games, uh, you would like to have Penn State to win one. Uh, Jeff Byers is joining me here on the podcast today on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Jeff, uh, Joey Porter Jr. is opting out because he's going into the NFL draft. This was uh, no surprise to me, but at the Rose Bowl, I guess he could have considered it. Uh, it was good to see him come back and play uh, despite the uh, having his appendix removed uh, before Michigan State uh, and played in that game ultimately. And then you have Parker Washington, who wasn't going to be available to begin with. 
but uh, he has opted out as well because he's dealing with an injury, but he's going to go into the draft too. Uh, everybody else is back. Like Penn State probably has the deepest roster since week one, uh, obviously without Parker Washington and Joey Porter Jr. If you're Penn State, uh, how comfortable do you feel without your number one cornerback and without your your most talented wide receiver, even though schematically Parker Washington, I would say, is wide receiver too, just given that he's the slot. But how do you expect Penn State to adapt to Utah without those two guys? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Porter, no question, is, is a big loss. That being said, I also don't think there's any question that the secondary and really the quarterback spot in particular is, the the I think, the deepest on this roster in terms of top-end talent. So... Uh, you know, I think Penn State is in good shape, uh, really good shape defensively. And with Parker Washington, you know, I think that's a little more significant loss on the offensive side. But I think there are so many guys kind of chopping to the bit, looking to get that opportunity here in the, the receiving core. And listen, one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing is, is how Penn State incorporates uh, in particular the running backs, but the running backs in the tight ends uh, a little more. Uh, I'm hoping in the passing game, because I, I think that is one thing that Penn State can still uh, exploit a little bit uh, with opposing defenses is getting the, the backs uh, involved more with just, you know, the swing passes and, and the tight ends with just, the, you know, the short curl routes and that that type of stuff that can help open up uh, some of the deeper stuff. And so I, I'm really curious to see what Penn State's uh, offensive strategy is. I, I think, no question, Washington was the most consistent receiver uh, Penn State had this season. But I think they've got a lot of uh, a lot of talented kids and, and some of the younger ones that should get an opportunity here to try to rise to the occasion and maybe uh, try to set the tone for themselves and the offense heading into uh, the, I think, very promising 2023 campaign. And in our opening segment here, and Jeff, everybody that I have as a guest on the show, I, I want to get their take when we're talking Penn State football about Sean Clifford. Uh, how important do you think he was to this team? And ultimately, how do you look back on his six years of college football at Penn State? Uh, you're going to have to one way or another because he does hold a lot of the records. But what is your opinion of Sean? Yeah, I mean, I think Sean was a good college quarterback. I I you know, to, to go back to James Franklin's overused uh, terminology, I don't think he's an elite quarterback, and I don't think anybody uh, ever really thought uh, that that's what he was talent-wise. I think he was absolutely critical to this team, though, in terms of his leadership. I, I go back to that team chemistry, and Sean Clifford and P.J. Mustafer, to me, uh, were the absolute critical components and pieces mm -hmm. to that part of the equation. And I think they, they were too of the key players. And there were some others, Jay or Brown. I mean, I, Joey Porter was certainly a, a leader. I mean, there's five or six kids that would be in there with them. But if you, if you're asking me who the two guys that were most key to what this team was able to accomplish this season, it's PJ Mustafer and it's Sean Clifford because of what both went through and the respect that their teammates had for the way they performed. Sean Clifford is as gutsy a kid as Penn state has had. Uh, I mean, he, he has, uh, you know, all of the moxie. I was watching Trace McSorley, and they were talking moxie uh, with him, and he epitomizes that uh, for Penn State. But, I mean, I think Sean Clifford, uh, I don't think has quite the same talent, but I think that the kid has every bit the heart and, uh, and battled through and, and gave everything he had. And, again, I don't think 
I, I'm never going to fault a kid for not being more talented uh, than what he is. I think Sean Clifford got everybody could out of his talent. Uh, and I think, again, his leadership, I, I just don't think can be properly measured in terms of its importance to what this team was able to accomplish this season. And listen, I, I think seeing the way he approached things every day is key for Drew Aller and his development. And I think Aller, no question, has more upside and, and has a lot more just natural ability. But watching somebody like Sean Clifford and being able to be in the room with a guy that's gone through all of the ups and downs, both personally and as a team, I just think that's invaluable for uh, his development, uh, Drew's development moving forward, uh, as well as the offense. And I really don't think you can overstate Clifford's importance to the team. And I think that is separate from, okay, how great of a quarterback is he? Statistically, yes, he has a lot of records. Nobody sits here and says that Sean Clifford is the greatest quarterback that uh, ever put on yeah. a Penn State uniform. I, I mean, he's not. Uh, but, man, the, the kid was all heart. And, and I don't see how, as a fan, you can't respect the heck out of what that kid gave to Penn State for the entirety of his career. He's Jeff Byers, the voice of Penn State Wrestling. We're talking Penn State football. And up next, we're scouting the Utah Utes and what they bring into the Rose Bowl and how Penn State matches up for them. Some X-Factors, some key matchups we're looking at. That is all coming up next here on Locked On Nittany Lions. Today's episode is sponsored by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to college bowl season to basketball, we've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Thanks so much for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen today. Hey, for your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Seiko, your Locked On Nittany Lions host, joined by special guest Jeff Byers over on the other side. Jeff Byers, the voice of Penn State Wrestling. In our final segment, we're going to talk just that. Since he is the expert, I will let you take it away from there. But I also brought you on to be a guest expert as well on Penn State football. We talked a lot about the Nittany Lions here. Now I, I want to get your impression of the Utah Utes and what they bring to the table. I mean, Kyle Whittingham, an incredible coach, someone who's been dedicated to this Utah program for, honestly, some before I was born, I was born in 96. Um, he seems yeah. he's just, he eats, sleeps and breathes Utah and Utah football in particular. Then you have Cam rising. Who's a tough as nails quarterback. So is that where this Utah football team starts and ends with, or are there any other players or any other schemes in particular that you like about this Utah team? Well, I mean, listen, it, it is hard not to be impressed with the offense and, and what Kyle Whittingham has done in terms of the consistency and, and building uh, a true powerhouse at, at Utah, which, uh, you know, I know Urban Meyer kind of kickstarted the, the program, but what uh, sure. Whittingham has done has been really just unbelievable uh, in terms of the, of the consistency. And, you know, I really think both he and James Franklin, since, uh, you know, if, if you compare the two schools uh, since Franklin arrived at, at Penn State, they're pretty comparable in terms of, uh, you know, the 10 win seasons, 
you know, obviously the last two years uh, would uh, factor in and, and take Penn State maybe down just a peg from that. But I think once you get past those top, you know, maybe five or six programs in the country uh, with the, the, you know, over the last, again, six, seven years, looking at Alabama and Clemson, obviously, and then Ohio State, uh, and then, you know, you throw in Oklahoma and Georgia, and then after that, I think it's, you know, Washington, Penn State, Utah that are in that next tier of teams mm-hmm. that have consistently been knocking on the door anyway uh, and have been pretty consistently uh, top 10 type of programs. So all kinds of respect to Utah. This is a, a high-powered offense, and uh, I, I do I, – I love the play they're getting out of the quarterback, but I, I think the – much like Penn State, what they get out of the running game is is really the key to what sets up everything else that that offense tries to do. And and I, they have done a really good job uh, over the years and, and certainly this season in understanding the importance of that running game. And I think really it's been the difference maker for Utah in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, the, they've had terrific quarterback play, no doubt. But if you ask me the difference between Utah and USC or Oregon, it's the consistency with which Utah has been able to run the football. And let's let's stick with the offense here, right? And you brought up a lot of good points that the offense has really been the difference maker because they don't turn the ball over. The offensive line is very good at protecting Cam Rising. Uh, Jeff, you may or may not have known this, but this offensive line has kept Cam Rising upright for the past two years, allowing 14 sacks. In, yeah, in, how many, in how many games in two years here. But you bring up the running game, right? Uh, Tavion Thomas is not in this game. And then Cam Rising's favorite target and the favorite weapon when it comes to Utah football, the tight end. Uh, they're both mis- missing Brant Keithy, who was supposed to be tight end number yeah. one. And then now Dalton Kincaid, who emerged as an All-America type of athlete, as a guy who's going to be have some serious consideration as one of the better tight ends in this upcoming draft class. So Thomas at running back is out. He's your leading rusher and your second leading scorer in terms of rushing touchdowns. And then Dalton Kincaid. I mean, it's not even close. He was Cam uh, Cam Rising's favorite target throughout the year. So how's Utah going to respond with that being said? Yeah, I I think that there's a couple of things. Uh, Andy, to go back to your earlier question about other pieces involved here, Andy Ludwig has been a sensational offensive coordinator. And yes, Mm -hmm. they're going to miss those two pieces. But as you mentioned, this is a really good offensive line it would be one thing if this was, hey, we only have a week to get ready without these guys. They have a month and, you know, the 15 yeah. practices uh, with the, the bowl preparation to get ready for this. Uh, and it's not exactly like there's uh, they're devoid of talent uh, at the tight end or running back spot. Now, whether or not they get the same production, we'll find out. Uh, but I, I, I don't think this is uh, a Utah team that is going to be scrambling to, to try to figure out, oh, my gosh, what do we do? The, I think they know what they, they do, and I think it's the next man up mentality. Uh, and again, I, I think there, there's a reason uh, that you're first team or second team, uh, but I don't think it's going to be a huge drop off. And I think with the extra preparation and with uh, Rising's ability to just read defenses and Ludwig's ability to put together a game plan, I, I'm not expecting this Utah offense to, to fall off a cliff here in the, the Rose Bowl. I, I think. Um, I think this is a team that is very well uh, positioned to still put up a, a whole lot of points here 
uh, even against, uh, you know, I think a good Penn State defense. But I, I think that front seven of Penn State against that offensive line of Utah is uh, going to be fascinating to watch from a fan's perspective. Yeah, I think in terms of head-to-head matchups, that's uh, very much the case. An offensive line that Rising was only sacked eight times this year, and they've already played 13 games. Um, they they know how to keep them upright, especially if you want to get even a, a little uh, down the microscope. Uh, the defensive ends against the two tackles, because I think they've combined for over 50 starts between the two of them. So Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, uh, whoever denied Dennis Sutton, whoever's going to cite Amin Vanover, all those guys that cycle in constantly at defensive line, defensive end in particular, are going to uh, have probably the most responsibility if they're going to get any pressure on Cam Rising. Uh, the defense for Utah, they are going to be without their best cornerback. So yeah. uh, same thing with Penn State. Joey Porter Jr. is out. Well, cornerback number one for Utah is also out, and that's Clark Phillips the third. And I think they're very comparable. I think both those guys are going to go in the first round of next year's draft. Yeah, I do too. Uh, does, does Utah need to be worried that he's not going to be out there? Uh, against Penn yeah, State. I, I do think it, it it hampers them. I don't I don't think they have quite the depth that Penn State does in, in at the cornerback spot. Uh so I do think there's going to be more of a noticeable drop off there and I do think Penn State uh can take advantage of that over the course of, of the game. Uh and I again uh, the other thing with rising uh going back to the, that side of the ball is I think they do a really good job of with him of getting the ball out quickly, knowing exactly what they want to do and executing. And the offensive line, no question, is a big part of that. But I think Rising's ability to get rid of the ball quickly and to maneuver in the pocket and give himself yeah. that extra split second or two uh, when he needs it is also key. And I think when you look at Penn State's uh, side of the, the field, it's much the same thing. I, I think this offensive line has to – uh, allow Sean Clifford the opportunity to make the reads. Uh, obviously, Sean's been at Penn State seemingly a decade plus yeah. uh, is what it feels like. But listen, I mean, he's he's seen everything. Uh, and so it's a matter of, again, just executing. But if I'm the Penn State side offensively, I, I'm trying to get my short passing game going. I, I really think there's an opportunity here for Penn State to – use the the passing game to kind of help set up the run uh, in this particular case. And that's uh, – I'm curious to see if that's how it unfolds. But I think with Penn State's tight end play and with the, uh, the abilities of this backfield uh, to keep Utah guessing about who has the ball and which direction it's going, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for Penn State to try to get some sustained drives going against Utah. And I really think that's a key if you're going to beat Utah is, is keep that offense off the field and put together some eight, nine, 10 plus uh, play drives that result in points and obviously ideally in touchdowns because, you know, Utah very consistently is putting up 30 plus, uh, 40 plus uh, a game this season. So uh, again, I think Penn State has to go in with the mindset that we've got to put together long sustained drives and finish them off, get get points when we get into the red zone. And that very well could be the case because Utah's defensive line, I would say, is the weakest link, uh, where their offensive line is the strongest, uh, defensive line's the weakest, and they need to use that pressure to get home. So uh, play action, 
and draw plays and the tight ends kind of just a, I don't, I don't think Mitchell Tinsley and Keandre Lambert Smith are the difference. I think it's Theo Johnson. I think it's Brenton strange. I think it's Tyler Warren. Those three have combined for 12 touchdowns. That's besides the point, but those three together, I think over the middle when Utah decides to bring pressure because, and then if they decide, okay, well now we got to respect the passing game, right, Jeff? And they say, uh, we're going to have just our four guys rush, or maybe we send an extra blitzer and we keep six back. Sean Clifford's actually going to have more time than people anticipate. Uh, Utah looked like they had a field day, but it was against USC, and that offensive line for USC uh, is just not that good. Uh, Jeff, the final idea here about Utah, and it's going to kind of segue into uh, a game prediction, a score prediction, if you will. Uh, You brought up some keys. What is the difference for Penn State against this Utah team? that helps the Nittany Lions win if you think they are going to win, but or what would anyway? Uh, if yeah. everything goes perfectly here, what does Penn State need to do? What's the difference for them to get a win? Well, I will say, and it's cliched, but it's cliched for a reason, and both of these teams have been really good at playing the takeaway game, right? Turnovers are always uh, big, and they're always unpredictable. I mean, I, we've had teams that have been great not turning the ball over all season, and then you get into a bowl game, and for whatever reason, it's just a day where the – the turnovers occur and vice versa. We've seen teams who have turned the ball over consistently and are minus seven during the season, going to a bowl game and all of a sudden they're plus three, but both of these teams have been consistently on the plus side of the turnover battle and pretty consistently, you know, two plus uh, in a lot of games this season. So uh, I do think that is one of the keys Uh, For Penn State, I think it is also getting off to a quick start. Utah has been very good when it has the lead uh, this season. But when they get behind, they they do get a little flustered. And I think without uh, some of their key components, especially, uh, you know, two of the the bigger components on offense, I I do wonder if they start to press a little bit if they get behind by a score or two. you know, especially if you get into early going of the second half. So um, to me, that the turnover battle is always is key. And then for Penn State, I think it is going to come down to which team runs the ball more effectively. Again, I think using the passing game to set up that running game is going to be uh, part of the equation for Penn State. But at the end of the day, I do think this Penn State team, uh, I think they're more excited about the opportunity to be in this game Uh, And I think these guys want to send out the seniors with that signature victory and also want to really set the tone. I think they they feel in that locker room like they are on the cusp of doing something pretty special now with the the young talent they have. And I think they respect and uh, understand the importance to whatever success they have over the next couple of seasons that these seniors have uh, laid the foundation for. And and I, I just I like. The matchup for Penn State, uh, X's and O's, but I really love kind of the just the feel uh, I think that Penn State has going into this game versus uh, what Utah has. So I, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. I think it'll be an entertaining game for the fans. I think it'll be fairly high scoring, but I have it 38-31 uh, Penn State at the end of the day. All right, good. Jeff Byers, Jeff Ironhead Byers, the voice of Penn State Wrestling, and we're going to talk just that. Penn State Wrestling is off to an undefeated start. Nobody's surprised here, but the number one team in the country, uh, let's get the inside scoop of where this team actually is and where it's headed uh, as the wrestling season marches on. That is coming up next here on Locked on Nittany Lions. 
Welcome back to Locked On Nittany Lions. I'm your host, Zach Seiko, joined by a very special guest, and that is Jeff Ironhead Byers, the voice of Penn State Wrestling. Uh, Jeff, before we move any uh, further, actually, where would you like people to connect with you, whether that's online or where, you know, uh, it's the easiest way to get Penn State Wrestling content uh, as this, they're getting ready to take on Iowa and Michigan coming up in the next months as the Big Ten slate opens back up with Wisconsin. But they're going to have some fun matches. So where would you tell everyone to connect with you personally or with Penn State Wrestling? You, you could probably go to I mean, go PSU Sports is a wonderful resource. Mm-hmm. Penn State Wrestling Club has a great uh, page for it. Uh, I need to get on the ball a little bit better with my social media. You can go to my Facebook page is perfectly fine uh, and reach out to me there. I do have a Twitter page, but I don't even know how to get on the doggone thing. So I got to get that uh, rectified. And I will say we are looking at starting uh, in January here. We will be starting a uh, podcast with the Nittany Line Wrestling Club that will feature uh, a lot of the Penn State wrestlers and coaches uh, on a uh, regular basis we're still kicking around uh, exactly how that's going to play out but i i think we're going to probably have uh, two to three podcasts a week probably in that 20 minute range that uh, that'll drop so uh, i'd be looking for that starting in january from the uh, netney line wrestling club's rockfin page Fantastic. All right. And of course, you can follow Locked on Nittany Lions on Twitter at Locked on Nittany. Follow my personal Twitter at Zach underscore Seiko. And you can follow, subscribe to us if you haven't already, Locked on Nittany Lions on YouTube. Uh, help us get to 600 before the Rose Bowl here. It's uh, We're all so close to 600, and it would be great if we were to get over that mark. All right, Jeff, uh, your expertise. We got, we got a lot of expert opinions and, uh, and feedback about the Penn State football team. But now uh, wrestling, uh, since you follow this team everywhere, uh, you know every single wrestler inside and out, the coaching staff, of course. I mean, Cale Sanderson has truly, I, I think, across all sports. I mean, if we're talking all, across all college sports, Penn State wrestling is the dynasty, and then maybe it's followed by an Alabama football with Nick Single, uh, Nick Saban, but uh, I, I don't even think it's close. I think it's Penn State. Uh, but uh, what would you say is the biggest difference about this year's group as opposed to maybe some in years past? Yeah, I think it's it's exciting to, to kind of watch how each season develops and, and to watch the camaraderie. And it was kind of fun for me on the trip to New Orleans and the national uh, dual championships to just kind of mm-hmm. see the the interaction and they took a big group down 20 kids went down from the the team on that trip and and you get a sense that uh, you know this is a very close-knit team uh which is you know a trademark really of the kale sanderson era but i think this team is, is buying into the team concept and i think that if this team can stay healthy this is probably the deepest squad uh, and has a chance to score the most points at the NCAA tournament of any Penn State team yet. And, and that's, uh, that's saying something, given the success that the Nittany Lions have had. But I, I really think at nine weights, uh, they have a chance. And I'm not predicting nine high-placing All-Americans, but I think at nine weights, they have uh, the capability of getting on the podium and probably placing in the, in the top five uh, if everything goes right at each of those weights. And that never happens. But, I, I mean, I think they go in really thinking that they can score uh, significant points at, at nine of the weights at the NCAA tournament and probably have at least five and maybe as many as seven uh, legitimate national title contenders going into the, yeah. the postseason this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think of Roman Bravo Young, Carter Storacci, now Greg Kirkfleet, who is the uh, consensus number one at this point. Aaron Brooks. Now, let me stop on Aaron Brooks because uh, up three to nothing on Coleman of Iowa State. But we, if you know wrestling, if you follow it closely, you know how talented Coleman is. Moved down from 197 to 184. Yeah. Uh, gave Brooks more than just a loss. Gave him a scare, almost pinned him in the second period uh we've seen that aaron brooks basically gets stronger after a loss uh had the same thing when he went into the big 10 tournament came up in second then ultimately won a, a national title so is that kind of the case here that he got a little bit of a wake-up call because uh, it's just when you and i talked immediately after the match was over it's just like man that was it was surprising just given how that's that's just yeah. how high the bar is for him yeah, and listen, when he's on, he he is a, as good as anybody pound for pound a, a, in the country. And so, uh, you know, he wasn't on. And, and there are some things, uh, you know, I, I think it's sometimes uh, difficult to remember when you see somebody that's out there dominating. But, uh, you know, what you don't know what, what all is going on is, is you know, how how difficult are the classes the kid is taking? Are, are there relationship issues? Are there uh, you know little nagging injuries that, that are uh, in play? And I'm not saying any of that's the case here for Aaron Brooks with this particular match, but I'm just saying you know is it just a day where a kid's battling a headache or just fatigue and not feeling well that day? All of these things go into it, and so for me, and I've been talking to a couple people about this, is it, it is not to me, as surprising that Aaron Brooks lost or that uh, Yanni Diagamahalas lost for Cornell earlier this year. Yep. What's more amazing to me is that you have guys like Roman Bravo, Young, and Carter Storacci that aren't losing. Uh, and, you know, knock on wood, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it's a long season, and they, and they uh, could all still fall. Uh, but I, I'm telling you, it is so tough in, in this sport where these guys know each other so well uh, you know, many of these top guys have been competing against each other, or at least in the same tournaments. Maybe they've been at different weight classes, but they know each other. They've been watching each other since elementary school in some cases. And you have great coaches out there. I mean, great college coaches out there. All kinds of uh, now resources that go in to preparing for matches. Uh, and if you are a guy that's a national champion or like Aaron Brooks, a two-time national champion, I mean, everybody that wrestles you is spending a lot of time scouting you. And again, it's great coaches and great wrestlers who are getting ready for you. And, uh, you know, to be always on top of your game and always uh, coming out on top is a really, really hard thing to do. There is a reason that there's only been one human being in the history of the sport that went four years undefeated with four national titles. Because it is really hard to do, no matter how good you are. And Diakama Hollis and Brooks and Starachi and Bravo Young, all these guys are elite, but they have off days. And uh, listen, I do think for Aaron, this was a good wake-up call, and I think it came at the right time of the year. And I think he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, uh, without getting into any details, that you know he's, he's let some things slip a little bit and probably not been as uh, consistent as he needs to uh, in terms of his preparation. And I think... Uh, you know, having this come at this time of the year where you have a couple of months to get back and make sure you're doing everything right uh, is ultimately going to be a, a huge benefit for Aaron Brooks. And by uh, as a result of that for the Penn State wrestling team when March rolls around.
And we just saw that happen with Max Dean, right? You know, national champion and then struggles against Michael Beard, who had a lot on the line for himself personally, since that was his spot once upon a time. And and it's tough, you know, as a Penn State fan, it's like, you know, yeah, you want Max Dean to win, but Michael Beard, you still have some appreciation for him. But besides the point, now you look, Max Dean knocks off the number two wrestler in the country at 197. So he's kind of figured it out after a little bit of a slump. Jeff, I want to ask you about the the youngster in this wrestling group because we see uh, aside from an Aaron Brooks or a Carter Storacci and a Roman Bravo young guys that who are young and instantly are in the lineup making an impact now you have multiple guys in this lineup Shane Van Ness Levi Haynes Alex Facundo I think Alex Facundo seems to be the consensus out of those three to have the best track at making some noise in the NCAA tournament but at, out of all those three who's really come on the best and is it Facundo that we're going to see at the end of the year and say like, yep, he's figured it out this early, or is it going to be Van Ness and maybe even Haynes? Yeah, it, it's interesting because if you ask me who's been the most impressive to this point, it, it is actually Van Ness. Uh, and Van Ness has been tested a little more. It's not Facundo's fault uh, that he really didn't get a, a big test until Carr. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought he f- acquitted himself very well, by All the, the zone, way, that yeah. Carr about. I was really curious to just kind of see how he responded uh, to a guy that was clearly elite. Uh, and I thought he responded very well. I mean, I, I think Facundo is is right there. Van Ness is the guy, though, that uh, – and I think he's in the toughest weight class. He and Facundo are both in absolutely loaded weight classes. He could probably argue all day about which one is deeper. But both those weights are really deep uh, at, at the top end of the, the spectrum. But Van Ness has just been a – gutsy kid uh and and obviously has the talent but i've been a little surprised just because he had limited work last year just went two and oh in the open tournaments because of injury and i just thought it might take him a little longer i I thought we'd see the level that he's at at some point this season but i didn't think he'd be here quite this quickly uh so i've been really impressed with his development uh but I think Levi Haynes of the three probably has the best opportunity to place highly on the podium. And I think again, all three, I think I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if any of the three uh, won a national title. I wouldn't be shocked if any of the three, uh, you know, didn't get on the podium either. I mean, I, again, mm-hmm. all three uh, are a little bit of a wild card in, in that uh, regard, but I think Levi Haynes has the easiest path. And that's not to say that it's an easy path, but I don't think there's as much uh, high-end talent at 157 as there is at 149 and 165. So while I, I think both Van Ness and Facundo are a little further along at this point than Haynes, uh, I think Haynes obviously is just a tremendous raw talent. And I think mm-hmm. his development and his ceiling for this season is probably as high as those two. It's just a matter of how quickly now – he can get the uh, matches under his belt and, and kind of uh, accelerate uh, his development by the time March rolls around. I think the the possibility and the uh, different scenarios that could play out with all three of those guys, though, uh, is is really exciting, not just for Penn State fans, but I think for college wrestling. Because, again, if I'm an Iowa and Iowa State fan, can I drop a scenario where none of those three see the podium? Yeah, and I don't think it's that mm. far-fetched. If I'm a diehard Penn State fan, could I see uh, two or even all three of them getting into the finals? Yeah, I, I think that's 
possible if the uh, wow. the season plays out the way you're you're hoping. So I think that's exciting when you have guys that you know are going to be in the mix, are going to be competitive, but are they going to win those one or two point uh, matches from the yeah. you know quarterfinals in? I we'll see. I, that's going to be the fun of it this year. And Jeff, the the final question I have, and it's it's about back to the team. Uh, the the biggest, uh, I guess, competitors, if you will, because Penn State's got a distinct advantage being number one in the country. Um, how far is the distance between that next best team, whether that's Iowa, Michigan? We saw what they did to Iowa State, but we know that Iowa State wasn't 100 uh, percent. NC State could be even considered in the mix, even though we're not going to see them go head to head against Penn State. Uh, so out of the Big Ten, who could between Michigan and Iowa or anybody else could challenge Penn State for that number one spot as a team? Yeah, I think I was the the one team that is you know a, a legitimate threat to Penn State. Now, truthfully, if if Penn State is healthy, I I think Penn State is is the team to beat, and I think it's going to take something really special, uh, tournament wise, for somebody to be able to uh, to defeat this Penn State team this year. Uh, again, if if everybody's healthy, but I think I was the for sure the most dangerous threat in the Big Ten. Uh, I do think this is a really good Wisconsin team that Penn State will have in the, okay. its first uh, conference duel out in yeah. Madison uh, coming out of the break. And I, I think Penn State's got to be a little careful there. Penn State has pretty consistently come out of the break strongly, uh, but I think it's going to need to in order to, to keep things rolling here because this is a really good Wisconsin team. But nationally, I, the three teams other than Iowa that I think are, are going to be on the heels of Penn State come March – that Iowa State team, I'm really impressed with, Zach. That's the first time I had a chance to see them yeah. in person now. And I'm really impressed, not just with the results they had against Penn State, but with the way they wrestled, the competitive fire they have. And I'm not sure Iowa State's not the biggest threat to Penn State now uh, this season. But I think Arizona State and Missouri are the other two teams that tournament-wise mm -hmm. have enough top-end firepower that they could uh, if Penn State you know, doesn't get points from those uh, three freshmen that we talked about or has a bad tournament from Bo Bartlett. Uh, you know, those are the teams that I, I think would be best poised uh, to make uh, some kind of run in, in March and threaten the Nittany Lions. He's the voice of Penn State Wrestling, Jeff Ironhead Byers. That's why we had such an insightful segment here to wrap up this edition of Locked on Nittany Lions. Jeff, thanks so much for your time, and I can I hope that I can have you back on the show uh, sometime very soon to talk more wrestling and uh, to recap the football season when it's all said and done. Absolutely. Be happy to. Thanks, Zach. Coming up tomorrow on Locked on Nittany Lions, we got a crossover with, you guessed it, Locked on Utes. And JT of Locked on Utes and I, are going to preview the Rose Bowl and give you a full analysis of how the Nittany Lions and Utah match up against each other. So be on the lookout for that. If you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel and always check back wherever you get your podcast for more Penn State content on Locked on Nittany Lions. Thanks so much for making Locked on Nittany Lions your first listen today. For your second listen today, Check out Locked On Sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.